God bless you and welcome to Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church broadcast. We appreciate and welcome all of you, our listeners around the world. Stay tuned to hear an exciting word from the Lord. only incites our deepest worship if we understand the depth of our depravity. And the fulfilling love of fellowship can only be savored as much as we experience its lack. You see, we think that the opposite of love is hate, but really the opposite of love is fear. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. All right. But he who fears has not been perfected in love. And Paul hints at the same thing when he says in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Mm -hmm. You see, Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves, but James notices that we don't always do that. Yes. He says, where do wars and fights come from amongst you? And it's true. We have a love problem sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And we can scream, love one another until we're blue in the face. But if we don't understand why we don't love as we should, can we truly have the fellowship that David talks about in Psalm 133? Mm. Behold how good and how pleasant it is. For the brethren to dwell together in unity. Mm. Love has an enemy, ladies and gentlemen. And that enemy's name is fear. Amen. Amen. Bow your heads. We're going to pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. And Lord God, we thank you for, for everything that you've done and everything that you are. All that you, you've spoken to us, Father God, and, and all that you, you've given us in your word, Lord God, and, and how you sit us down and you explain things. Father God, so what I ask you this morning is that you give us ears to hear. Lord God, that you, you make the blind man see and the deaf man hear. And Father, the one that, that has problems speaking, Lord God, that you open, open her mouth. Amen. Lord God, I ask that you sit me down and let, let your spirit reign in this place, Father God. Let us experience your presence and your love, Father God, weigh heavy on this place. Lord God, I ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You see, the Bible is not just a collection of stories, but a lively account of situations and descriptions, and if we look hard enough, it shows us motivation and into the very heart of men like ourselves. You see, these men were just like us, and though we would like to think of ourselves as the Davids and the Elijahs, we probably more closely resemble Ahab and the Saul. Mm -hmm. 
And so like them, we discover our basest needs, our deepest and our darkest desires, instincts and behaviors that keep us from fulfilling the command that Christ gave us, the one command he gave us before he left, to love one another mm -hmm. as ourselves. And today we're mostly going to be in 1 Samuel, discovering the ways in which fear becomes an enemy of healthy relationship amongst the brethren. Amen. We're coming into the story as God sends Samuel to anoint as king one of Jesse's sons. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go to 1 Samuel 16. We're at verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Samuel said, Lord, I found him. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I found what you're looking for. This dude is perfect for you. But that's what we do to God, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We try to pick out who we're comfortable with. Mm. We try and pick out the one who looks blessed to us. Yeah. Come on, come on. The first enemy to a healthy relationship is prejudice. That's the true. fear That's of true. those who are different. Come on. You see, if they don't act like us and they don't talk like us and they don't smell a certain way, surely they aren't one of us. Mm -hmm. We judge and we judge wrongly by our warped standards and poisoned with culture and tainted by sin. Mm -hmm. But God has not subjected himself in his providence to what we consider to be the greatest good. Right. He chooses based on his own good counsel, which is far from our hands and our hearts and our thoughts. Mm -hmm. the, time we the time we live has been the most racially charged. That's true. I've seen almost 40 years of life, almost 40 years in a couple weeks I expect gifts and I accept them. <laughs> race against race, sex against sex, country against country, people against the planet, children versus dogs. We do that, right? Right? It's a thing. We have a president who is so bent on separations that he'll do anything, including to build a wall. And it's not border security. Nope. I'm not going to lie to you. It's prejudice. Yeah. But the sad thing is, is that this is not just a problem that's isolated to the world. Nope. But it's seeped into our churches, into our fellowships. Yeah. Where we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Mm -hmm. We love our brother. Our love of our brother has been allowed to wax cold. Mm. And this is how we end up with white churches and how we end up with black churches and how we end up with Hispanic churches and Asian churches and women can only wear skirts and men can only be in the pulpit no matter how unqualified they are. And this goes past preference, but it screams prejudice. You see, prejudice is not only a fear of the different, but it's a belief in our own superiority. Self-imposing a lower rank for another negates a healthy love for our brethren. So I guess it really is God's fault. Because in our personal relationship, 
He loves us so fiercely. And he takes care of us so completely and he nurtures us so profoundly that whether, what other conclusion could we come to, what other conclusion could we accept is that, except for that we are special. Mm. And sometimes it's like we're his only child. <laughs> but that's a beautiful thing about him, right? He makes all of us feel that way. Yeah. Special. <clears throat> Individual. Mm-hmm. Love. However, in our sin nature, we pervert his affection to mean that we alone are special and therefore better. So I used to, I used to belong to this congregation where as some of the, the people in the congregation would call the prophet the anointed one. And I was a baby saint. So I was like, oh, okay, so like this is a thing? I didn't know until I matured. Until I, until I read some more. And I realized, wait a minute, the anointed one is Jesus. Yeah. Is he here? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that's what happens sometimes. We, in, our, in our own psyche, we get so close to God that we confuse his power with ours. And we reserve his otherness for ourselves. And we come to the conclusion that we are better. Mm-hmm. That's not how that works. <laughs> no. We are only as good as the one who believes in us. And only because he is in us are we something that's not raggedy. That's not ratchet. But in ourselves, teachers, preachers, prophets, evangelists, all anointed, just like everybody else in the family. Amen. Our gift, assignment, doesn't make us special. It makes us responsible. Who is special when everybody is gifted? Everyone and no one. So prejudice, superiority, and entitlement are perversions of God's love and therefore are a disintegrating force in the body of Christ. First Samuel 16, 14 through 17. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master not command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful, who is a skillful player on, on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hands when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then, so- I'm sorry. David has just been anointed king and God's spirit comes upon David and at the same time God's spirit comes upon David, God's spirit is removed from Saul Mm -hmm. and the distressing spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul and rests on Saul so because of this spirit, Saul experiences deep discomfort Mm -hmm. so let's reason this through together, so God removed Saul from his post, right? That was the thing that happened. God took his spirit from Saul. 
the distressing spirit came from God to Saul. So do we think that God, who is the God of love, which is the opposite of fear, intended to incite fear and anxiety in Saul? I don't think so. That doesn't make sense. So then what was the purpose of the distressing spirit? I think the distressing spirit was a spirit of conviction, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was given to Saul in order for Saul to, to repent, yes. to bring about repentance. But instead of Saul dwelling in his dis discomfort from his disobedience, he seeks solace from God's chastening of him. Yeah. He seeks comfort over correction. Mm -hmm. The second enemy of a healthy relationship is the fear of discomfort that leads to emotional dependence. Mm. See, we can't stand to be uncomfortable, especially when we're being convicted. And sometimes the ease, uh, sometimes it's easy. I'm sorry. And sometimes the ease of discomfort, uh, we look to others to to provide comfort for us, right. for somebody to tell us we're right. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. It's good. Pastor like to call it somebody who's gonna rub your belly. Right. <laughs> and instead of letting this discomfort do its job. We place an unhealthy responsibility on those around us. Yeah. yeah. Those around us are then required to make us happy. Mm. We depend emotionally in an unhealthy way on them. And whether we as brethren are comforting when we need to correct or correcting when we need to comfort, either practice is unhealthy for the fellowship. That's true. The servant should have corrected Saul. But I get why he didn't. He's just a servant. Saul is a king. But we don't have to worry about that. We're Amen. just supposed to do what we're supposed to do. Amen. If our brethren need, Paul talks about it in uh, 1 Corinthians 3 through 5. Uh, 1 Corinthians. You got it. He owned it. Paul talks about it. We comfort with the comfort that we've been comforted with. Right. But that's not the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because if God is requiring correction, mm -hmm. then we need to follow up with God is, what God is putting in them. Right. If they're being convicted, then we need to provide loving correction. Yeah. Right? Yeah. First Samuel. 17, 26 through 28. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For this, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, what did you, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. The third enemy of a healthy relationship <laughs> is jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. Eliab was, was David's brother. 
And if you'll remember, when Samuel was anointing people, Eliab was the first one that got passed over. Now, in this culture, if you're going to anoint somebody, it's going to be the oldest boy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. He got looked over. His, his, he didn't have that from God. That wasn't his, it wouldn't have really been his inheritance anyway, but it still would have been, you picked the first boy. So Eliab was, was being, felt confused, and he felt covetous, and he felt resentful. He says in verse 28, why have you come down here? Now Eliab looks to be establishing boundaries, saying this is my area, and this is your area. And don't get me wrong, boundaries in any healthy relationship are good, and they're helpful. But Eliab was doing not just boundaries, but he was being territorial. <laughs> when you see yourself or others being territorial, you have to understand that there's a feeling of being threatened. Somebody feels threatened. And it's how animals act, right? Animals mark their territory. Cats will pee on stuff or spray or whatever. But that's how we act in our basest, in our basest instinct, mm -hmm. in our basest person. Jealousy is elicited by a fear of loss or a fear of not having. The next thing Eliab says is, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He didn't just say, well, where you leave your flock? He had to say, where you leave them, them little, them little, <laughs> little few sheep. And I was like, really? <laughs> Why are you being so shady, Eliab? <laughs> Eliab wasn't concerned about the flock. This statement drips with disdain. Not only was Eliab establishing his territory from David's territory, but he also dis dis um, he also uh, denigrated David's position and David's assignment. Mm -hmm. Eliab knew David was the anointed king, yet he calls him a shepherd of a few sheep. <laughs> and when we or someone else starts belittling who we are and what we're doing in a way to make themselves feel better or ourselves feel better about who we are and what we're doing, that's a sign of jealousy. Mm -hmm. Iliad says, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. And I had to read and reread, and I was like, what? I missed something, David. What did you say to him to make him act like that? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> David wasn't being prideful. He wasn't being disrespectful. And it, and it dawned on me that you see jealousy Jealousy will drive a person to find fault wherever they look. Yeah. Yeah. And when David was working from a place of purpose and a place of confidence and a place of fervor for God's plan in his life, Eliab mm -hmm. saw pride. But we know how it goes. She thinks she this. He think he that. Mm -hmm. 
But really, during this walk, God has taught me something that no matter what you do, you're going to be called wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So you might as well do it well. You might as well do it loud. And you might as well do it free. Because yeah. <laughs> as they say, haters are going to hate. Amen. Yes. And that's what happens when you walk in purpose. Mm. Amen. Because of your proximity to God's purpose in your life, it will cause your vision to be different than others looking on the outside, on the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. You see, David didn't see five smooth stones. He saw the Lord's victory. Yeah. Yeah. And Moses didn't see a staff. He saw the hand of God. And Joseph didn't just see a colorful coat, but he saw the destiny of a nation. Mm -hmm. And so when we see God working in someone else's life, love dictates that we don't break them down yeah. and that we share in their joy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Jealousy is deteriorating in a fellowship because it not only seeks to destroy another's purpose, in God, but it undermines each individual's function mm -hmm. in the body of Christ as a whole. Amen. It's like us saying to God, what you gave me is not good enough. Mm. Mm. But in first in First Corinthians, Paul says, every member has honor. Yes. And the ones, the ones that are even hidden in private, those are more modest. So those even have more honor. Yeah. Our function, our assignment as individuals come together collectively and then work as a unit. Every member is important. Yep. 1 Samuel 18, 10 through 12. And it happened on the next day that the destruction spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hands and at other times, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. The fourth enemy of a healthy relationship is the fear of losing the one you love. Ooh. Emotional codependency. Saul was experiencing God's conviction and refusing to repent. And when Saul prophesied in the house and became afraid of David, it's because God showed him that David was about to take his place. David was the king. So David was going to be the next king. Saul tried to kill him. That's just kind of how this goes. That's what we expect. The Saul is kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. But the dependency problem that I'm interested here is not Saul's. It's David's codependency mm -hmm. problem. David's job for years was focused on comforting Saul with his music. He lived in a house with him. He ate food with him. He knew his children. Saul had become like a father to him. So when Saul started throwing spears and trying to pin David against the wall, I would have been like, I bet you won't. <laughs> you ain't got to tell me twice. I'm telling you. But the scripture says that David escaped twice. 
So that means David ran because he didn't want to get pinned. <laughs> and he came back and started playing again. Where did he do that at? Nowhere. <laughs> I bet you won't. After the first time, I would have been up in the wilderness. <laughs> but that's my instinct to say. Yeah. But would I really have? See, love is powerful enough to take you back into that room. Mm. Subject yourself to spheres mm. over and over and over again. You'll sit and play. You'll try to soothe them with your love in hopes that one day something's going to get better and that it's going to work out. But you know what's, a, what's as powerful as love? It's fear. And fear of the possibility of living without that person. Fear of losing something. But wisdom and love knows that sometimes the proximity to a person isn't what's healthy for them. That's right. That's right. Our fear says stay because we don't want to lose. Stay because we, we love. Stay because we want them close. But against our fear, our love requires us to still love, but love at a distance. Amen. Because as long as David stays, he not only fails to fulfill his own purpose, but he allows Saul to use him as a distraction for his own dysfunction. Amen. Love sometimes means to let go. And I've been talking to pastor and some of my co-workers because God bless me with a with an office full of women who love him. Amen. And love requires, love dictates sometimes that we not be in the way of somebody else's progress. Sometimes we think we help him by staying close. Mm-hmm. But that's not helping. That's not the greater good all the time. Sometimes that person, we need to back up and let God deal and still love them from afar. That don't stop us from loving. Mm-hmm. So let's go to chapter 20. We're going to read. Let's go ahead and read up to. Let's read one. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? See, up until this point, we've been looking at unhealthiness in relationships. Are we looking at Saul's motivation, Eliab's motivation, David's motivation? We're looking at all of their faults in order to see, and for that to act as a mirror for us to see, could this be in me? Mm-hmm. And for us to, to be able to um, observe that and then for us to pray about it, Lord, really? Jesus, that's, that's what I'm looking at? Mm-hmm. And for him to work on us. Amen. So that it can be a, not just a vertical <clears throat> relationship, but it can be a healthy horizontal relationship. Amen. And it, when we look at chapter 20, we're going to see the, the signs of a healthy relationship in Jonathan and David. 
So the first thing that David says is, what have I done? What, what sins have I committed before my father? What David is doing is engaging open, honest dialogue. It's open transactions. He's being transparent. He's, being, he's not being elusive. He is saying, I would like to know what you think. And that's a part of a healthy relationship, seeking trans transparent transactions. Verses 2 through 6. So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing either great or small without first telling me. And why shall my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you, you yourself desire, I will do it for you. Jonathan shows a willingness to help and intercede for, for David. And he's not just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this for you, but he's saying, I'm going to find out. We're going we gonna to set up some inquiry. Let me help. You have to understand, kind of like Iliad, except for more, Jonathan was the first in line to become king after Saul. So it's in his best interest mm -hmm. to get David killed off. Mm -hmm. But that's not what he does. He shows fervor for God's plan. He says, hey, wait a minute. I see God's hand on him. Let me help him. There wasn't any, any, any jealousy. There was dedication. Amen. There was love. There was support. Verse 8. Therefore you shall deal kindly with, kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? See, David's not asking for comfort for himself. He's like, if I did something wrong, let me know. You do, you do it. You kill me. If I did something wrong, I deserve it. He's right. not trying to escape that. He's being accountable. Yeah. He's showing integrity, yeah. personal responsibility. And these are the signs and these are the things that we want to work towards when we deal with those in the fellowship, when we deal with brethren, personal responsibility, integrity, and accountability. Verse 41 and 42. As soon as the light had gone, David arose from the place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, uh, but David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So what just happened was, Jonathan found out, yeah, God's trying to kill you. <laughs> so you should probably leave now if you don't want some more spears and they actually do pin you to the wall. And so what, what Jonathan and David um, have is, is that they display this covenant relationship. And that's what we all should thrive towards, a covenant relationship, one of trust and one of love. 
One is accountability, one is integrity. See, Jonathan was that man that sticks closer than a brother. Mm -hmm. And fear would have required that, that they stay together. Fear would have said, okay, I'm going to protect you because I'm the king's son, and you're going to stay with me, and, and we're we going to be good. But Jonathan realizes, and David realizes, that it's best for them to be apart. Mm -hmm. See, Jesus said in John 16, 17, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. Yes. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come for you. Hallelujah. You see, there are some things that David needed to do and some things that David needed to see and there's some things that David needed to mature in. And if Jonathan was there, he wouldn't be able to. See, there was a reality that Jesus wanted for us that if he stayed in the physical form forever, that would have been wonderful but not beneficial to us. We would not have been able to partake in the promises of heaven because we wouldn't have the, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Right. See, there's a time when things need to progress. There's a yeah. time when things need to move. And Jesus was teaching this. And David and Jonathan were teaching this. While it seems good for us to be here one-to-one, -one, it's not always beneficial because God is a progressive God. Yes. Amen. Amen. Sometimes love requires distance and room for God to work and to do. And love doesn't stop. It just leaves room. So why is it important for us to examine the motivations and the behaviors with one another when it comes to true unity and fellowship? Well, that's so we can experience and it truly fulfill the one law that Jesus gave us. And this is how we should show our love for God. John 15, 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I love you. No greater love has no one than this.